All right. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning will be from Hebrews 11, verses 32 through 40. So you can follow along as I read this morning, Hebrews 11, 32 through 40. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. In all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Praise God for his word. And uh, this morning, it is also my privilege to welcome John to come preach for us this morning. He is my youngest brother-in-law. And to be honest, right, 10 years ago, I never thought that this would be an option, that I would be able to invite John to come preach the word of God. God has done an amazing work in his life, and it is amazing to have him come. I'm so thankful to have him come, and the cool thing is he's been my brother-in-law, right, for 15 years, getting close to 16. Yeah, yeah, I remember how long I've been married and part of the part of the family, but the, the more amazing thing is that now I can truly call him a brother in Christ, and he can come preach the word, so... John, come this morning, preach the word. Excited Thanks. to hear you, brother. Thanks. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it. Well, good morning, Living Waters. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing good? Good. Excited to be here. Jumped at the opportunity that Josh gave me to preach to you guys. You guys are, I don't know if you know this, but even in the Engage Network and even outside of the Engage Network, uh, that's the network you guys are a part of, by the way, uh, you guys are special. This church is special, and you guys have a very, very special pastor. Do you know that? Josh is awesome, isn't he? He really is. Uh, one story I have about Josh, um, just to kind of give you a feel for his heart. I know you already know it, but just let me share this with you. Uh, Josh and I didn't know each other back in the day, back when I was unsaved. Um, I mean, we played basketball together every once in a while, but we didn't know each other. Uh, he knew my dad, and so one day they were praying group of guys, including Josh, and Josh started to pray for me. Again, he didn't know me, uh, and he just started to weep. He just started to cry over my lost soul, and I share that with you to say, if he cares so much about somebody he barely knows, I can only imagine how much he cares for you guys, his own flock. So be encouraged. You didn't pay me to say that. Uh, that one's free. 
Uh, but he is awesome, and you guys, you guys really are, are blessed, and it's exciting to be here and to preach with you guys. Uh, but just to give you a little bit of uh, a background from me, I did grow up in a Christian home. I, I am the youngest brother of my sister, Natalie, over there. And so I heard the gospel message. My dad's a pastor, and I heard the gospel message a lot growing up. I mean, a lot. And it was a good, it wasn't, it wasn't messy or anything like that. It was a good, solid gospel message that I heard. I knew I could explain it back to you, uh, but I didn't trust it. And some of you may know what I'm talking about. You, you knew it, but you didn't trust it. I didn't trust that it would satisfy me in this life for sure. Uh, and I was very skeptical that it would satisfy me in, in the life to come. And really, when I, uh, towards the end of middle school, probably my whole high school career for sure, uh, I had this, this epiphany uh, in life that pretending, I was going to stop pretending to be a Christian, right? Like it was a lot more fun to do the things that I wanted to do rather than pretend to be a Christian. And so I did. I, I, I went off in high school and really just did anything I wanted to do. That led to a lot of drugs, uh, both using, dealing um, in the Des Moines area. Went to went to Sadell on the north side. Um, relationships, I was a perpetual um, uh, guy in a relationship and I was always cheating on these girls too because I was just I was I was horrified to have someone tell me that I wasn't wanted right I mean this is the satisfaction I was looking for I was looking for acceptance um also a lot of dealings with uh the cops uh usually on the bad side not like Rob said where he was asking me to do stuff for them but they were usually arresting me uh and so I got locked up for a couple of weeks in juvie when I was 16 and got kicked out of my high school and and all these things and by the time I was 17 I was just miserable um I was looking for something uh not wanting it to be Christianity so I still even though I was miserable and I noticed that when I was 17 I still kind of just pushed it off for for another year really um, but by the grace of God, and I don't say that lightly, by the grace of God alone, um, he opened my eyes. When I was 18, after I, uh, after I uh, graduated high school, um, through a myriad of situations, including, obviously, prayer uh, that from, from saints like, like your, your pastor and many other people, um, God opened my eyes to see my need for him. To see my need for Jesus. I, I saw God as holy when I was 18 at a camp listening to the gospel being preached. I saw Jesus as necessary and I just said, I'm, I'm done, I'm done running. And so God changed me, right? He changed my heart and he's still changing my heart. He, he's changing it in a, in a radical way and he's continuing to do so every day. And if you're a Christian, you probably have a very similar story, um, maybe not in the details, but all of our stories are, are, are extremely similar. They need to be in the meat, right? And that's because salvation stories, they don't change throughout history. This, this, you, you, you are saved the same way from day one and Adam and Eve in the garden as you are today, right? Uh, the details change, like I said, but you are saved through faith, right? And that's what you guys have been talking about. You're saved through faith, but you're also changed. You, you do things that you didn't know you could do before through faith, Right? And this is exactly what you guys have been talking about at least the past couple of weeks in Hebrews 11 where you've been walking through this book about faith where you see this, this list, this long list of these heroes of the Bible that were just radically changed by their faith in the gospel. Right? 
and they've gone into great detail. And these are great stories. And all I'm going to do, I'm not going to try and switch anything up. Or like Josh said last week, I'm not, I'm not, what did he say? I'm not adding any spice to it or something like that. Quoted from Kanye, I can't quite remember. Sauce, that's right. I'm not adding any sauce to this. I'm just going right back to the Bible. This is what we're going to do. We're just going to pick it right back up in verse 32, and we're just going to end it. We're going to read through the whole chapter, the rest of the chapter. We're just going to look. And what we're going to look at is for three changes that their faith led to. And I'm referring to the ones we're about to read or the ones that you just read. What are the three changes that their faith led to? Because I think we can learn a lot. I know we can learn so much from these heroes of the faith. And that's why this chapter is here. So let's do it. Let's look back. I know we just read it, but let's look back because I'm a nobody. Trust me, I'm a nobody. God's what's going to change you. So let's look at these words. Look at verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of, of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, that's where, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And I'll stop right there for now. And the first thing I see, the first thing I want, I want to point out that their faith led to was their faith led to heroic service from weak servants. And I'm getting that from the end of verse 34. They were made strong out of their weakness. Right, so, so you have what the author is doing here is he's saying, look, I just went, I just spent the whole chapter going into great detail about all these guys, Moses, Abraham, all these, Noah, all these guys, going into detail about them. I don't have time to do that, right? There's so many. So he just lists off this laundry list of these epic stories and these epic characters in the Bible that many of the, re- the readers of this book would be familiar with, but also many of these stories that you guys are familiar with too, right? And oftentimes, if, if you're being honest, familiarity at this time breeds a little bit of contempt, doesn't it? Right? I mean, many of you guys are not going to like to hear this, but I'm a Lakers fan, okay? I've been a Lakers fan my whole life. Used to hate LeBron. Uh, and now I love him because he's on my team, right? And he brought me a championship. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, LeBron is just a really good basketball player. But one thing I've noticed about LeBron is that he can have a game. He can go out there and play a game of basketball and drop like 50 points, 13 rebounds, 13 assists. And again, for those of you who don't follow basketball, that's a really good game, okay? And I'll, st- and I'll get on social media and I'll get on ESPN and all I'll see is, yeah, but he didn't take the last shot. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. And I was realizing, or I am realizing, that the basketball world is so used to this guy being so good that they've just become dull to how skillful he actually is. And I think, I think that is exactly what so many of us do when we come across stories like this in the Bible. Right? And we come across these stories and it's like, you've heard them before. Jonah and the whale, David and Goliath, all these things where it's like, yeah, sure, he killed this dude. Like, no, 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 seriously, like, these are great, heroic, amazing stories that we just give to the kids. and <laughs> We don't actually think about them as adults, and I don't think that's okay. 
I think that we need to think and think hard and be amazed about how amazing, heroic, and faithful these people really were. So let's do that. I'm just going to walk through a couple of them. I'm not going to go through all of them because, again, as even the writer said, we'd lose time, right? And so let's just look at a couple of these. First one, let's look at Gideon. Remember Gideon? He was the one where God chose him to lead an army against uh, uh, another army that was described as numerous as the sand on the sea. Now, I've been to the beach. That is a lot of people, right? That's a lot of people. And God says, and I'll give you 300 people to do it. That's that's insane, right? I mean, this is the modern day movie 300, right? I mean, where he just says, yeah, here's your 300. And I look, I mean, those, mo- those movies, they, they motivate, especially us guys to go be manly. But I'm not man enough to take that job, right? No way, no way. Gideon was a hero. What about David? Remember David? He did a lot of things, right? Very famous. Uh, but let's just look at the obvious. He fights Goliath. He fights to the death with a bodybuilder who's as big as a basketball hoop, right? I mean, this dude is huge. He has got armor. He's 10 feet tall. He's got a spear. He's got a sword. And David comes at him with a rock. I mean, guys, seriously, be amazed at this. This guy is crazy. He is so heroic. And what about Daniel, we're told even in our story here, they stopped or he stopped the mouths of lions when he didn't even flinch at the threat of the king. Remember, the king said, any of you who worship this God, you're going to be eaten alive. Daniel says, I don't care. I don't care. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego quenched the power of fire when they literally dared King Nebuchadnezzar to throw them in the furnace, right? And there are so many other stories in this passage and all over the Bible, and I want to know why. Why were they able to do these heroic acts? Was it because Gideon was just this naturally born leader? Right? Was it because David just had that, you know, that go get him personality, that type A personality where he, just, he was just capable of doing these things on his own? Was it because Daniel had an extensive training in zoology and he just knew how to tame these lions right before he got in there? No. No, of course not. They were able to accomplish great heroic acts because of their faith, right? And not their faith in their own power, but their faith in God's power. Right? Because we know throughout Scripture, if you've ever read these stories about these guys, there's nothing in and of themselves that's special about these guys. There's not. I mean, think about it. Gideon. Gideon was the one who, who caused the entire nation of Israel to, what the literal word is, is prostitute themselves out to other gods at the end of his life. David, he murdered Uriah, right? And then, and then he may have even forced Bathsheba to sleep with him. We're not told it. We're not told it was some romantic getaway. Like, we're not told that. And the prophets are mentioned here. Remember the prophet Jonah? Jonah was so 
racist that he wished God would have killed the entire Ninevites, all of them, rather than save them. That's sinful, right? That is wicked. These people were sinful. And they weren't just sinful, they were also weak and unimpressive, right? Gideon, remember the story of Gideon? Gideon's story is is amazing. If you've ever read about it before, Gideon is standing there. God appears, or the, the, the angel appears to Gideon in front of him, and he says, Gideon, you're the man. And Gideon's horrified, and he goes, uh, no, not, not me, right? And he says, my family is the biggest wimps in all of this area, and I'm the biggest wimp in my family, right? That's what he says. And David, of course, David's the youngest of his family, but even if you remember right before he goes and fights Goliath, he's mocked by everyone. You? You're going to go fight Goliath? This unimpressive redhead, maybe he was redhead, I don't know, we'd say he was red. You're going to go fight Goliath, David? I don't think so. Here's the point. Here's the point. Here's the point to all this. And I want you to grab this. I want you to get this. Because it's really, really important. The reason God uses them, or people like them, is because if God can use weak, unimpressive sinful people to accomplish his amazing, amazing plan of redemption, then how much greater does that make him look? Right? Do you get that? I mean, what are you more amazed with? Are you more amazed with the principal building when you drive by it in downtown? Are you more amazed with the pyramids in Egypt built by simple stone tools? I mean, that building is cool. Don't get me wrong. It's big. It's as big as the pyramids, but it's not a wonder of the world because we look at the pyramids and we go, how in the world did they manage to build such an amazing structure with such simple tools? And that is exactly what's going on here. God used these heroes of the faith not because they were powerful, but because God is powerful. And God can do that same thing through you, if you know him, if you know him. Sinfully weak people being changed into heroic servants of God. That's the first thing I see. Here's the second thing I see in their faith. Their faith leads to horrendous suffering met with wondrous steadfastness. Now let's pick it back up in the end of verse 35. Get the word, get your eyes on the words because it's way more important than what I have to say. And notice the shift, right? He says, he says, you guys did all of these amazing things. You, you, you stopped the mouths of lions. You, you quenched the power of fire. You made your enemies run away from you with 300 people, right, Gideon? And then he switches here and says this, and some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Think about that. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom... The world is not worthy. If you have a Bible and a pen, underline that. Wandering about in deserts and mountains, 
and in dens and caves of the earth. History tells us that the prophet Jeremiah and Zechariah were both stoned to death. Isaiah was said to be sawn in two. That's the way he died. Seven out of the eight New Testament writers, 11 out of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus were brutally murdered for their faith. And I mean hands and legs tied to four different horses and ran out in all different directions until your body's ripped apart. Suffering. Crucified. Beheaded. Burned. In fact, it was Nero in the first century who would literally put tar on Christians and burn them alive at his dinner parties while using their flame to light the yard at his party. And Paul, not Paul, the writer of Hebrews says here in verse 38, he says, these people are gifts to the world because the world is unworthy of them. John MacArthur rightly points out the irony in this statement. He says, the world did not consider them worthy of life, but God did not consider the world worthy of them. Of course, you could just go on and on about all of the suffering and the, and the, the killings that have happened to Christians. 2015, 21 Christians get their heads cut off by ISIS just for being Christians, right? I want to know why. Why were they able, throughout time, especially these people we're talking about, why were they able to suffer with such wondrous steadfastness? And again, it's not because of their own willpower. It's not because they are amazing in and of themselves. It is because of their faith. Their faith that this life, the life they had here on earth, was, not, was never intended to be the best life. Right? It was not intended to be the best life. And they knew that. And so that actually gave them freedom to lay out everything on the line. And you actually see that answer in verse 35. Read it again. It says, some of them were tortured, refusing to accept release. Why? Why, why, why were they refusing to accept release? That makes it seem like they could have gone. Why did they stay? so that they might rise again to a better life. These heroes in these stories, they, they knew where their true home was. They knew where their true home was. They saw that the life to come was far better, way better than anything this life could offer. Right? In fact, they, they, they saw the kingdom of heaven with the same eyes that Jesus described the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 13, 44, this is how Jesus describes it. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has to go buy that field. You see what he's saying? It, it's painful. It would be painful to sacrifice Everything you worked so hard for. In fact, it would be impossible to go through with it unless, unless what you are being offered 
in return is far better, way better than what you're going through, way better than your suffering. And that is exactly what these heroes saw. They saw all of these Christians, so, so many countless Christians throughout time, suffering and being killed, but able to meet that suffering head on because they were looking, they were looking to the treasure, which is not found here on earth. It's found with Christ in heaven. And that's what they saw, and they recognized that this this suffering, it's temporary. It's, it's not going to last. And so they knew it was far better. Th- the third thing that I see is that their faith led to hopeful sight on unseen promises. Look at verse 39 and 40. And all these, though commended or gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now what these verses are simply saying is it's not that God kept his promises away from them or didn't come through on his promises, but rather because they were alive before Jesus, before, they, before Jesus came, they never had the privilege of receiving the promised Messiah in their lifetime, right? You get that? And so they had to believe by faith, just like us, that their final salvation would be made perfect, or, or even another way to say it is made complete when the Messiah came. And when you think about it, that's, that's really remarkable, right? Because they had nothing to look at except for the promise of a coming Savior. That's all they had. They just, they just knew he was coming, and so they believed it, right? And, and in Hebrews eleven twenty six 26-27, the writer says, He, that is Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of, the, of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He, Moses, persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He saw the invisible God. He knew he was there. And see, what he's saying is their faith, all these heroes' faith, it's their faith in their future Savior that gave them the strength to endure in harm's way. Right? I mean, sometimes it would lead to victory. David puts himself in harm's way against Goliath and great things happened. Or it led to suffering, great suffering. Isaiah gets sawn in two. And what they're saying is it's their faith in the Savior, in the future Savior, their eyes on that treasure. That is what gave them the power to do great things and to die well. And so I have a question while I was studying that kind of popped up and it just seemed like it was so obvious to me. And I hope it's obvious to, to some of you. And it's this. If they, if these people were, were able to accomplish such great heroic acts and they were able to withstand just the worst kind of suffering, I mean the worst kind of suffering, all because their faith, had, they had their faith in an unseen promise of a coming Messiah then what in the world is our excuse? Right? I mean, what is our excuse? They didn't even know who the Messiah was. We do. And we have amazing evidence, if you're skeptical in here, amazing evidence that Jesus is who he claimed to be. 
He is the Messiah. We now see fully what these heroes of faith literally died to see. Do you feel that? They died for this. And we get to see it. That's good news, and this should motivate us. This should motivate us to do something, right? This should motivate us to to be like them, but even, even do greater things, right? Because we have Christ in front of us. We know who Jesus is. If you are a Christian, this should motivate you. You have the Holy Spirit living inside you. They didn't even have the Holy Spirit inside of them like we do today. And so in light of that question, the question being, what's our excuse? I want to give you three challenges in light of these life-changing faith or this life-changing faith that we see in these heroes. Just three challenges, and here they are. First challenge is don't waste your energy storing up treasures here on earth. In a room this size, I, I all but guarantee that there are, are some of you who are lost. You, you don't know your creator. You've never by faith surrendered to him before. And, and if that's you in this room, or maybe you have trouble buying into this whole Christianity, then let me point out that everything you're doing is storing up treasure here on earth that will by its very nature fade away. I, I like to say, when you look to fading means for satisfaction, your satisfaction will fade. Therefore, the only satisfaction that will never fade must come from an unfading source. And you're not going to find it on earth. You can't. The world can't and will not satisfy you. It's impossible. It will fade away. You need an unfading source. And that unfading source is Christ. It is the one who these heroes were looking to, were looking for. It's the treasure. He is the treasure. He is the one that is going to save you. He is the one who's going to satisfy you. You must, if, if there is anything inside you that's saying, like, like me when I was 18, this, this isn't cutting it then look to that unfading source. Recognize that God is holy and you are not. You have sinned and because even if you sin just one time, that's enough. You can't work your way back up to perfection. Right? If I give you a test and you get the very first question on that test wrong, how many questions in a row do you have to get back up to get to 100%? You can't. It's impossible. It's impossible to work your way to perfection. That's why we need Jesus. That's where Jesus comes into play. He says, I am going to live a perfect life, die on the cross to absorb your sin, and then I'm going to offer you my perfection because that's what we need most. 1 Peter 2, 24 says it like this. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree. He's absorbing our wrath. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He clothes us in righteousness. His cloak, he gives us his perfection. So in the eyes of God, we are no longer seen. I was no longer seen as sinful John at 18 years old. I was seen as John who surrendered to Jesus. And he sees Christ's perfection on me. By his wounds, you have been healed. 
There's a question. Have you been healed? Have you trusted this truth? If you do, then you will be satisfied. You will be seen as perfect in the eyes of God. And you'll also, almost as a kicker, you'll actually get this kind of faith that we've been talking about that will allow you to do great things and to change. Second challenge I have, and this is actually more directed to the Christians now. Second challenge I have is don't waste the little time you have here on earth. I have four kids. They're young, so I don't have these conversations as much, but um, anybody who has kids, we're pretty good at telling our kids that, hey, you know, your childhood, your high school years, your early girlfriend and boyfriends, they're not going to last, right? They're, go- they're so quick. I mean, they're here today, gone tomorrow, right? And rightfully so, because that's a true statement, right? But then we go on into adulthood, and we live in this illusion that something's going to change, <laughs> Right? We go on and we say, now that I'm an adult, I have all the time in the world to do everything I, I wanted to. Well, ask any 90-year-old and they'll tell you the same thing. Life is short. doesn't matter if you live to 30 or 105. Life is short. And if you're a Christian, listen, if you're a Christian, God has called you to make every moment of your short life count for eternity not for here on earth, not storing up a bunch of trash here on earth. That's, that's the American dream nonsense. You should live for your job. You should live for your hobbies. No, no, no. Live for him. You live for anything else, you're wasting your life. Don't buy into that. Live for God. Make the most of your time. That's what these heroes did. That's what these heroes did. I mean, do you remember, do you remember the calling of Isaiah? The, the reason why these heroes made so much with the short lives they had is because they had an urgency about them. They wanted to do something for Jesus. Isaiah standing before the Lord, and the Lord says, Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah, he just says, Me, Lord. Here I am. Send me. I don't even know what this means. I don't even know what I'm getting myself into. But I have an urgency inside of me to just do something. I want to do something for you, Lord. Many Christians, and probably many of you in this room, are just simply, and I, I'm guilty of this, so simply content with coasting through life without giving any thought to accomplishing something for the kingdom. Just something. Don't coast through life. Strive to do something for Jesus. So here's a challenge for you as you read your Bible and as you think about these things throughout the week today. Ask yourself this question. What do I need to give up or what do I need to start doing in order to make this happen, in order to do something for the kingdom? Let the Bible give you your answers. Don't waste your short time here on earth because life is short. My last challenge to you guys is don't waste your suffering because God is doing amazing things through it. He is doing amazing things through your suffering. We're we're in America, right? And we're so protected here in America that it actually comes as like a shock to us that when you read your Bible, it's fairly clear that a suffering life is actually a promised life as a Christian. It's 
promise to you. And it's all over the Bible. I'll just read one verse because it's so crystal clear in this verse. It's 2 Timothy 3.12. Timothy says, or Paul says this to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's all. If you're a Christian and you, and you desire to live like Christ does, which that should be all of you if you're a Christian, then you will be persecuted. You will suffer. I know it's hard for us to wrap our minds around here in America. I mean, to be honest, everything going on could happen a lot sooner than we think. But it's not just crazy suffering. It's, it's simple suffering. Cancer. I mean, that's not simple. But it's not a sword on the back of your neck. Your kids running away from Christ, that's suffering. It will happen. Don't be surprised when it happens. I don't need to tell some of you that this is happening because it's already happening to you. And you're asking that question, that, that hard, painful question of what in the world is God doing through my suffering? What could he possibly be doing? And in my defense, and your other pastors on staff's here defense, we're not God, so we can't give you all those answers. We can only give you scripture. And one of the clearest answers in scripture to that hard, real, very real question is found in Colossians 1.24. This is what Paul says. He says, I rejoice in my suffering. You could just pause right there, and that's an interesting way to put it. I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. What Paul is saying is that when you suffer the right way as a Christian, it's not that you're adding anything to the significance or the importance of the cross itself, but you are actively portraying the message of the cross to a lost world. You see that? In your suffering, whether it's a sword on the back of your neck or whether it's cancer, your suffering is literally acting like a megaphone to the lost world out there that Jesus is worth suffering for. He's worth it. If you have very, like these types of suffering, like you're going to die and you go through it, he's worth it. The world sees that. You have a struggling kid who's walking away from Christ and you deal with that and you work with that and you say, God, I'm just depending on you, God. The world sees that. If you have sickness and you're walking through and saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm trusting God the world sees that. So don't be surprised when you suffer. And don't waste it either because it is one of the primary reasons or ways that God floods his kingdom full of unsaved people because they see saints being killed all day long, as Romans 8 says. And they say, I want some of that. I want some of that faith. So let me just share at the end just two quick stories that illustrates what Paul is saying here because I, I just felt the Holy Spirit drawing me to this point specifically. So just let me share two stories as we end. 
The first story is from a, a woman named Jean, and she's a woman who goes to Saleville, um, and this time last year, she was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and she was given 18 months to live. Um, and Jean, she never had a, a giant sense of urgency in her life like we talk about, uh, but as soon as she got that death warrant, God put something inside of her that said, ah, life is short. I gotta, I gotta do something about this. I gotta tell my friends. I gotta tell my friends and family. And that's exactly what she did. And as a result, just in this past year, five of her friends and family members have been saved. And one of the primary reasons that drew them into the gospel was their looking at Jean and saying, she's going through treatment. She's clearly dying. Yet this is what she wants me to know before she dies. I want that kind of faith. I want that faith. I think that's what Paul is trying to say here. Right? You're, you're suffering. It draws people into the beauty of who Jesus is. The last story, a little bit maybe more dramatic. In 320 AD, 40 Roman soldiers converted to Christianity. And as a result, uh, the Roman governor was just enraged. He did not like that. And so, uh, as an attempt to get them to deny Jesus, he made them strip off all of their clothes and forced them to walk out on a frozen lake until they either denied Jesus or they froze to death. And as they went out there, the soldiers, the 40 soldiers, they, they began to encourage each other, began to say, come on, let's do this. And this is actually the words that they said. They said, how many of our companions in arms fell on the battlefront showing themselves loyal to an earthly king? Is it possible for us to fail to sacrifice our lives in faithfulness to the true king? Let us not turn aside, O oh warriors. Let us not turn our backs in flight from the devil. And this just enraged the governor even more, of course. And so what he did is he put hot baths along the side of the lake just to entice them as they slowly froze to death to deny Jesus, saying, come on, come on, these are waiting for you. And in the end, one, just one of the 40 would actually deny Jesus. He would walk off and he'd get into the bath. But as he walked off, to the absolute shock of everyone, one of the soldiers watching uh, on the side saw the steadfast, wondrous, steadfast faith of these 39 and he threw off his clothes. He ran out onto the lake proclaiming to be a Christian where he would go and freeze to death with his brothers and sisters while singing hymns all the way. I think that is what Paul is trying to say here about suffering. Whether it's a sword on the back of your neck or whether it's cancer God is using your suffering to draw people into the kingdom. So don't waste it. Don't waste what God has given you. This faith that we've been talking about, this faith radically changed weak and sinful servants into heroic suffering saints. 
And this is the same faith that is being offered to those of you who don't know him. And this is the same faith that every single one of you who do know him can have. You can do great things through Christ, right? That's the context of that famous verse in Philippians. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who did not stay distant like these other gods and other religions. You did not stay distant from our suffering. You embodied our suffering. You said, I'm not just going to stay away from, from you humans, and if you can work your way to me, that's great. You said, I'm going to work my way to you. And you suffered on the cross for our, our sins. You died and absorbed our sin and gave us your perfection. Lord, if there's a soul in here who does not know you, would you help them to see the beauty of the cross and say, I want that. Lord, I pray for anyone whose hearts are burning right now that they would be saved. And then I pray for the Christians. Lord, I pray for anyone who is in here who is suffering. They are going through hard times. They're thinking, my life isn't meaningful, Lord. I pray that you'd give them great encouragement through the stories of the men and women that we just saw in this awesome chapter. We love you in your son's name. Amen.